What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam Kalal, and we're Atlanta Zone. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was Atlanta professional sports with wacky-ass hijinks and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? Going very well, Graham. Very well again. Um, I'm a little curious as to what, what the week in Atlanta professional sports was, though. Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing really going on that's, you know, there's a couple of things we can talk about, but there's no big news. There's no big free agent signings for the Braves. You know, status quo remains for the for the Hawks for the most part, although John Collins over his last four games has been outstanding, Twenty six, averaging over 26 points and over, I think, 10 boards or something like that. Um, he's actually been really good if you look at it from the time he came back from his suspension to now. I think per every you know per every 36 minutes he's actually playing he's averaging like 27 and 12 or something like that like he's he's balling out he's doing a hell of a job 45 seconds in and we're already into John Collins stat line I do love John Collins despite him um you know dovetailing the season single-handedly early on I, I you know made a mistake we move on hopefully it doesn't happen again and he can contribute to the team but Got to love me some John Collins. He's really been kicking ass lately, and he's done well since he's he's returned. More than well. He's, he's been excellent. Sure, sure. So, um, but, yeah, there's really not a whole heck of a lot to get into, but I think there are some things we can take uh, away from the week that was. And one of those was Chop Fest happened over the weekend, Adam, the Atlanta Braves annual event where players commiserate with fans. There are panels hosted by uh, – who's that guy that – we all Jim like. Powell. Jim Powell. Yes, hosted by Jim Powell that we went to one time a couple of years ago. Yeah, we went to the year where Chopper was introduced as the mascot. Yes, where Chopper was introduced. Not Chopper. What's Chopper's the Gwinnett Braves Yeah, I was like, what the hell are you talking um, about? Um, blooper. Blooper, sorry. Yes, everyone hated Blooper. <laughs> I wanted it to be Chopper. I wanted Chopper to get the call up from AAA. Yeah. I think that would have been a genius move. Although Blooper's pretty funny. I like Blooper. But I mean, everyone he, loves Chopper. He's kind of like a bastardization of the Philly fanatic, but I enjoy his energy. He's a lot more entertaining than, than Homer ever was. Him being a lefty as well, that, that brings a certain, I don't know what, yeah. to the mascot. And he, and he does some funny things where he'll get people to like, you know, where he steals money from Bryce Harper or Manny Machado and stuff like that. He runs around with a check and they chase after him. You know, that's, that's always entertaining. Speaking of uh, mascots, have you seen the... Uh, so the NHL had <laughs> I'm talking about the NHL something that's time. never been uttered. <laughs> hey, we used to talk about the Thrashers all the time. Sure, not uh, on this show. Yeah, um, they had their All Star game and they did a mascot like All Star game and it was fucking hilarious. And oh, that would be fantastic! What a great idea! Oh yeah, people were just falling over on their skates. I'm sure. And yeah, but there are also like some big hits. But uh, the damn. The Philadelphia Flyers mascot, mm-hmm. you know that dude? I uh, do not. Yeah, so Gritty is out there. Mm. God, he's such a weird-looking motherfucker. But like, he's he, like an orangutan. Like, he is just—that's the best mascot in sports right now. Philly does mascots well. They do. I'll give them that. Yes, yes. They don't do many other things well in the sporting world, besides win the occasional championship. Sure. But their mascots are phenomenal. But um, yeah, I'd like to see. The MLB get on board with something like that. You know what they should do in the NFL? Uh, you know, substitute the Pro Bowl for that. Let there be a weekend where the mascots play a game. Because the Pro Bowl is, is even more of a joke than it ever was. It's two-hand touch now. Yeah. It was – I watched 10 minutes of it. It was a disaster. Nah, yeah, you can't get into that. Um, I didn't want to. It wasn't my choice. But, you know, we watched like 10 minutes of it. 
Saw Grady Jarrett not get hurt, which was, you know. So Austin I was, Hooper had one catch for like four yards. I did not see that. Well, I saw the stat line. I heard that on the radio, but yeah. I, I did not see the play. That happened after I stopped watching, I guess. Well, this was proposed on, um, I think it was on Reddit, kind of similar to what uh, the NFL could do instead of the halftime show. Because mm. it's so long and drawn out. And it's never Anyways. good, really. I think some people, I mean, it brings in a broader audience. I get that. But they were talking about other things they could do instead of that. And one thing that was brought up, which I think is genius, is to have the two worst teams in the league play each other for, like, overtime rules. And whoever wins gets the first overall pick in the draft. Okay. I was initially, I I didn't like that because I thought it was humiliating them and just sort of poking fun at the two worst teams. But when you incentivize that. Yeah. Yeah. I would watch the hell That'd out of that. That'd be phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Or you could do that in place of the Pro Bowl. I don't know. Yeah, that'd be better than the Pro Bowl for sure. Yeah. Let the, how about this? New proposal. Let the halftime be the mascot game of the Super Bowl, and let the Pro Bowl be the battle for the first pick. I think you got it. For the money, you've got to keep Super Bowl halftime as it is. Third compromise, Pro Bowl, full game of the two worst teams. Halftime of that is the mascot. I like it. Boom. That would have eyeball. Like, you would get a lot of people watching, especially if it's the week between the championship games and the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, we got a real football game to watch that means yeah. something. And Freddie the Falcons playing quarterback at halftime. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. I'd be all over that. I mean, I was amazed that there were that many people in the stadium, and the stadium was pretty packed. In Orlando. Oh, they played in Orlando now. Yeah. See, that's the other lame part for the players. Like going to Hawaii must be so much fun. Yeah, like going that, to like a, I, I'll do deference to Orlando, but it, it's a shitty little city. It's not the great, best city. No, I was. I, my, it's a tourist town. I'm sure there are nice areas outside of the town, but it's just it has this soulless corporate feel to it. It's when you Florida. Go. That's how Florida is. It's just Chili's, Longhorns, strip balls. That's Florida in a nutshell. Miami's like a different country that doesn't really count as Florida. Right. But outside of Miami, come on. What do you got? Yeah. That's why I don't understand why they have so many football and baseball teams. Like, why does Florida need two baseball teams? Two baseball teams and three football teams. Yeah, the the two baseball teams. And two basketball teams. Yes. Spread it out. Nashville's a good city. Charlotte's a good city. Atlanta's a good city. Well, we already have. We have enough teams. Yeah. Could use a hockey team again. But, yeah. You know, I hear what you're saying. It doesn't make sense. No. I don't get it. That is weird. And, and the two baseball teams don't do well in attendance at all. No. But anyways. Nothing enough, ever has. Enough of this. Except for when LeBron James was with the Heat. Right. Well, the Heat have always had a pretty decent turnout, especially in the way you know, the days of Dwayne Wade and Shaq and Lonzo Mourning. You know, they've been a much bigger draw than the than the Magic. Magic had their time when they had Shaq and when they had Dwight Howard, and that was sure. about it. Sure, but I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Anyways, Chop Fest happened, Adam, <laughs> and uh, as we as a, as a tangent, as we you uh, turn back to our original talking point, Chop Fest happened. wasn't a whole lot to really glean from it, but one thing that was interesting was Alex Anthopoulos said. You know, I'm totally paraphrasing here. We basically said Terry McGurk, who is you know represents Liberty Media for the Braves, told him, "Hey, if you need to go out and make another move, do it. Like, don't worry about money." 
if you think there's one more thing you can do that can really put us over the top, by all means, go for it. And coincidentally, this week it was it was announced that Chris Bryant lost his his grievance against the Chicago Cubs, which means that he is now under team control for two more years, which I think has made him more attractive to shop for the Cubs in terms of they can probably get more, you know, more out of uh, out of Chris Bryant if they wanted to trade him. And that, you know, that's timed perfectly with what McGurk said. And it seems like the stage could be set potentially for Chris Bryant trade to the Braves if we were willing to try to engage in those conversations. Not saying that it's going to happen, but I'm just saying the stage seems to be set for it. It was like a very serendipitous thing to have Anthopolis say that on Saturday or Sunday, whenever that was. And then like a day or two later, Chris Bryant is uh, now under team control for two years. So that uh, Chris Bryant grievance is pretty messed up. Like when you look when you look at it from his point of view, this was going back to when Chris Bryant was called up to the Cubs, and uh, they he raked in spring training. Clearly, is ready for the major leagues, and they purposely keep him in the minors for ten days so that he doesn't get a full year. In the majors, which pushed his free agency back, it's kind of like what the Braves did to Acuna. Not as bad though, because Acuna was like mid-May, right? Yeah, ten days is pretty. Yeah, yeah. It's like come on, and then to call him up on that day. Um, but I mean, we also paid Acuna. True, um, they haven't given him a big fat extension. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the, the timing is great. It is there. Um, Price still has to be right, man. We have the prospect capital. We do. We there's, do. There's, there's no other team in baseball that has the prospect capital that we have. And one of the things that is interesting to me about Amphopolis's willingness to hold on to his prospects, it's sort of a um, double-edged sword in a, in a sense because, you know, prospects can, can increase in value and they can depreciate in value. Guys like Kyle Wright, you know, I probably depreciate in value a little bit in terms of what you could get when you offer them up in a trade deal. Sure. Um, you know, guys like Tuki Toussaint, who I once thought was the future of the staff, depreciate in value like crazy at yep. this point. Um, Austin Riley, no value at the moment. I would not say no value. But I'm just saying he fell off a cliff. So I'm just saying his value right now, even though we know what he can do, you just don't know what kind of player he we'll, is. We'll come back to uh, this Bryant thing. But I love Anthopoulos because he's been doing the rounds. I listened to some ridiculous YouTube radio show. I don't even know who the guy was. The video had like 3,000 views, but he got an interview with Anthopolis. And uh, his talking point with Austin Riley is how they've looked at it with him. Every single time he's gone to a new level, like single A to double A, double A to triple A, triple A to the majors, he's had a lot of success and then struggled and then bounced back. Yeah. Big time the next year. That's been one of our big talking points on the show, too, Adam. Maybe have if you've, if have you've we brought listened. that up? Oh, yeah, many times. I don't think that's oh, true. Yeah. Go back and listen to the shows. So we just say the same stuff over and over again? Yeah, it's it's like we're, we're slowly... It's kind of what sports radio is, though. Yeah, we're slowly going insane together. Okay. So I brought that up already. I brought it up, you brought it up, everyone's brought it up. If you brought it up, I wasn't listening. That's fair. But anyways, um, <laughs> take that for what it's worth, Grand, then. No, no, I, I, I can agree with that. I'm just saying if you look at where his value is now, he probably doesn't have a ton of trade value considering how he just you got injured, one, and two. He definitely he still has a lot of trade value. You, you, you can't say that. I'm saying you could probably gotten a lot more for him. Last year. Yes, than you could right now. 
Right. That's all I'm saying. Right. I'm not saying he can't boost his value again or be a great player or anything like that. I'm just saying, but the, back to the original point I was making, it's just like because Anthopolis has held on to some of these guys for so long, you know, they, some of them are depreciated in, in, in trade value. That's all. So brass tacks, do you think Chris Bryant is worth Ian Anderson? Yes. Yeah? Mm-hmm. I, I think, love me some Ian Anderson. But. So here's a trade that would get this done tomorrow. Would you trade Ian Anderson and Pache no. for two years of Bryant? I would trade Anderson and Waters. I would keep Pache. You trade Anderson and Waters. Yeah. See, I think it's unfair because those two prospects are leaps and bounds above what the Cubs have. And I feel like we're almost penalized for having such a great farm system where the value could be Kyle Wright and Austin Riley. But because we have such... Right, they're going to ask for cause, more. Yeah, because yeah. we have so much depth. Right. They're going to push for more. Yeah. And that's that's what I'm talking about. It's like one of the curses of having such a great farm system is, and there aren't many, but you know there are some. Is that you know some of the prospects are so hyped up. You know, if you have so much depth that people are always going to ask, especially if they're giving up one of their studs. Like you know, Brian is no pushover. He's he's an excellent player. He's, he's not as great defensively, but we nobody can do on offense when he's right. And because he's you know one of their best everyday players. They're going to go after some of our best prospects. It's just the way it is. Well, they also want major league talent. So are right. are you willing to trade Max Freed for for Brian? I know. We have enough questions on our rotation right now. Um, I know you don't think that, but I'm, I'm very much in the mindset of my the only two guys I feel like I can consistently rely on right now is, is Soroka and Freed. And even then, because they're so young, they don't have a proven enough track record to fully depend on them. But I would never – Max Freed is untouchable to me. I would I would trade Austin Riley in a heartbeat. I would put him in that deal, hundred percent, if that's what it took. Yeah, I think I think it's uh, it's a given that Riley would be yeah, included in the I trade. Would, I would have you know if you said it's it's Riley Waters and Anderson or Riley Waters Wright, I would I would do it. That's too much, Graham. That's too. Much. I would do it. That's too much. Here's the thing, Adam. We know what we're getting with Chris Bryant, I and mean, we get him at an affordable price. It's eighteen million dollars a year for two years. That's that's for a guy who's subpar defense. You're a big defense guy, Graham. Subpar defense, but you're excellent big defense. Excellent now, offense. Now your whole left side, you got Ozuna and Brian out there. I know. I know. His holes but, in the defense. But, but that know, offense, man. that offense is is powerful. That offense is can be top tier kind of shit. Yeah. Especially if Bryant is fully healthy and he plays the best of his ability. <laughs> he is. He you know that's an MVP caliber player on your team to join Acuna and Freeman. In the lineup, that is a absurdly powerful lineup, and then you have Azuna as well. So, and, and we know what we can get with him. We don't know what we're gonna get with Riley. We don't know what we what we're gonna get with with Waters, and we don't know what we're gonna get with Anderson or Wright. Well, why not? Why not just wait until it's, it's the trade ca- deadline? Because you don't know what's gonna happen at that point. Riley's value could go down some more, or it could go way or up. Or it could go up. You don't know. We just don't know. I would rather take the. I would rather do it now as opposed to having to to scramble later in the season. And it's also kind of like, you know, you know what you're going to get when you listen to Atlanta Zone, Atlanta Sports Podcast. You know, that's the Chris Bryant of Atlanta Sports Podcast, recapping the week that was in Atlanta Professional Sports. You don't know what, you, you know, uh, you don't know what you're going to get from a, uh, a an Ian Anderson yet 
you know, if, if you wanted to listen to another show that was recapping Atlanta professional sports every week, you know, you just don't know what you're going to get from that. Wouldn't you rather get something you know that I, you're no, going, I get that you it, feel but good I, about? I think the kicker is the Cubs aren't like a completely rebuilding team. So no, but they're getting. You can't just throw guys that are a couple years away. No, no, them. Anderson is not a couple years away. And Waters is not a couple years away. Waters, at the very least, maybe is, a, is year a year away. Though away. The co- the Anderson's ready this year, guarantee by May he's ready, and Riley is ready too. I don't know if that's enough to You're get a Chris. You're putting the Ryan. Graham Waldrop guarantee that Ian Anderson is pitching in the majors by May, June at the latest. Mm. That is my guarantee for the Braves for the Atlanta. Well, depends on if we make another <laughs> trade, but I think we agree. I mean, I, I want to make a push for Brian. I think what you're proposing is too much. It could be. I think I think you're kind of just you're going. We need to do something. Anthopolis is a little more tactful than you, Graham. I think he can get this deal done, but at a much better price. If he can, then that's great. I'm just thinking about what I realistically think it would take to get Bryant. But what the fuck do I know? I'm just coming from my own head. Obviously, Anthopolis is much more uh well qualified to make that decision than I am. I but I do think it would be a mistake not to go after him. Would you do Riley? Here we go on this again. Riley, NCRT, Fulty. Yes. Kyle Wright. Yeah. That would be tough because you're losing one of the Williams Contreras. Five of those guys? No. <laughs> okay. That's ridiculous. Contreras puts you over the top. Well, it's just another guy. I mean, it's like, you know, we don't have, I mean, people say we have some depth at catcher, but, you know, I'd, I'd like to see how Contreras would, would play out. But Enciarte is definitely expendable. Riley's definitely expendable if you're getting Bryant. You know, those guys package them up. I mean, the, the, the possibility of these things falling into place for us, though, is really sweet because if, like, if we had just re-signed Donaldson, we don't get Osuna. And, right. then, and then we're going with that platoon in left field. And just the fact that Ozuna waited out, that was another thing Anthopoulos was talking about. Like, they told Ozuna at the beginning of the offseason, look, we're interested in you, but Donaldson's our priority. So we're going to wait him out as long as we have to. So if he had signed earlier in the offseason, we would have lost out on Ozuna. Yeah, and apparently the Reds were offering him a multi-year deal as well, which eventually wound up going to Nick Castellanos, another guy we were rumored to yeah. be interested in. But he got four years, like $65 million or something, and Ozuna's banking on himself to, you know, put himself in a position to um, have a great season rebound and eclipse that number by by a lot, I would think. But what I'm getting at there is just the the potential of this coming together to work at, like Donaldson leaving oh, yeah. being a great thing for us. A lot of pieces have fallen into place really well for this to happen. Giddy up. And another thing, too, uh, why I like this more than Arenado is it's not as much money that you have to pay Bryant. And... You're getting, you know, and you don't have to give up as much, I don't think. Like, Arenado has is, is played longer. He's more reputable. I think he's he's a better player. So, you know, you can get comparable production offensively, not defensively, but offensively, and you really strengthen your, your, your team. And, you know, you still got, if you do give up Riley, you still got Camargo if something happens to, to Bryant. So... It's not like you're lacking for depth at, at third base if you do have to move Riley. Or for some reason, Kamar, like you'll have one of those guys. So I'd say don't get your hopes up on it, though. But. I'm not going to get my hopes <laughs> up, but it was encouraging to hear McGurk via Anthopolis say, you know, 
fuck the money because you never hear that come from the Rays. Well, Anthopoulos has also said like he's never been denied money anytime he's asked for yeah, it. Who knows how how realistic that is? Yeah, I feel like he's a pretty. <clears throat> I mean, he says things a lot of GMs wouldn't put out there. Yeah, like uh, he, he's pretty pretty open about the process and all that. I just I just think if that were true, we wouldn't have been in that position we were in with our, our bullpen last year, heading into the season. I don't know. I mean, it's it's kind yeah, of you know, we, we're, we've been through that all the terrible I, bullpen free agent signings from last year that worked out to be terrible deals. True, but we didn't do anything <clears> to improve the bullpen via trade or anything like that when that was certainly an option. We waited until the middle of the season to scramble, and it worked. I, out. I, I just it worked, worked out great. Well, you could argue that it worked out great, but it also we still didn't. You know, still didn't put us over the top. I'm looking for a move to put us over the top, and this is one of those moves that can do that. I, mean, I, I know you are. I, yeah. I, li- I listened to Atlanta's own last week, and you made that abundantly clear. Although I still think you're going to complain if this happens. Oh, if this happens, hell no. I don't know, man. I'm. I'm. I, I will feel a lot more confident. Say, could have had a, could have got Donaldson, put him at third. Could have traded for Bryant, put him in left field. Man, I'm not going to. You know, you can only ask for so much. I'm just saying, like, this is a realistic thing that could happen. It is. If you really want to be a contender, you got to do this to me. You. We're contenders, Graham. You use that. You're not a contender for a World Series right now, today. I don't think. I think you're still missing one piece, and your rotation still has a lot of questions. Pretty much everyone ranks us as a top five team, as is. I think we're a top five. That means you're a contender for the World Series. Do you think the. I don't think. Would you you have called the Nationals contenders for the World Series last year in the middle of the season? No. no. Who knows what's going to happen? I don't know. My opinion is probably bullshit. Okay. But I'm just saying that's my opinion right now, as I don't think we are true World Series contenders. I think this team, as constructed today, will be another one and done in the playoffs at best. That's how I view them. We do not have the offensive depth to compete with the best pitching in baseball. Okay, Graham. You put a guy like Brian on the team, though, and I think that changes. Because I think you've improved at catcher. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And I think Freddie being healthy will be will be beautiful. But you need one more piece when you're going up against guys like Scherzer and Strasburg and whoever else you have to face in the playoffs, you know, pitchers of that ilk, you know, where you're not facing, you know, a LeVon Hernandez type every fifth day and shit like that. You're, you're, you know, you're facing the best, best possible pitching in the game. And we always struggled. We struggled last year mightily in the playoffs. Offense went 10 for 72 or something like that. That always, I think a lot of that comes back to, that's another good thing about Brian is that he can't play left field, which I don't think I fully realize. Yeah, he can play outfield. And, God, I just hope that Snitker starts resting these guys because we're going to have depth out our ass. Well, that was the thing is we had a decent amount of depth last year. We didn't rest anybody, and I think that really – Hopefully they've learned. I mean, we said that last year. Too. I don't think they've learned because, you know, the hopefully whole – Freddie's learned. He's like, oh, I've been injured for the last three years, didn't know it. I mean, he was saying over ChopFest that he took – for Tylenol every day to deal with his elbow pain for like five years or something like that. Yeah. Which is crazy. Um, so, yeah, like we really got to rest guys, and that means everyone. That means Acuna, that means Albies. And the more depth you get in position, you know, if you bring in Brian, you get that depth, that that opens up the ability for your bench to really get some, some playing time and give your guys, you know, a week or two off over the course of the season that they didn't get last year that we really need. Because I think some people were really tired. I mean, the team really busted ass to clinch that division. And by the end of it, you're kind of spent. And um, we definitely could have rested some more people. Although we rested people at the end of the, the, end of the season. And 
It was kind of too late. I mean, it was kind of too late at that point. Yeah, you got to build that in over the course of the year right. to keep guys fresh, and which was, is easier said than done. But I mean, now having Hatchaveria a whole year that gives us a lot more flexibility on the. I'm infield. really glad we got him back. You you know Duvall and Marquecas aren't just going to be sitting every day. No, one of those they'll guys be, is going to get be it. Cut, plugging in and out. They're so. going to get a good amount of playing time. And one of those guys could still. I'm ready for the, baseball, man. Yeah, I, I am too. Brass tacks. We're getting there. We're very close. February. Yeah. Come it's on. A, um, yeah. Pitchers and catchers report in two weeks, baby. It's almost time. Oh, I want to call you out on one thing. Oh, no. The last two shows you've been saying, this is the highest payroll we've ever had in the history of the franchise. Well, that's true. Okay. I would take that with a grain of salt. Because back in the early to mid to late 90s, we had one of the highest payrolls in baseball where we were actually spending a shit ton of money to compete. Is this true? This is true. Uh, Do you look this up or are you just... Thinking no, about it. I know this. So you didn't look it up. No, but I know that we've... It was eight-year-old Graham. You're, Holy shit. You right, probably gonna, just told these things. No, I wasn't. The Braves in 98 were fourth. In 99 were third. 2000 were third. 2001 were sixth. Okay, so 95 were the third highest payroll. Mm-hmm. 45 million. Look how... That's insane how much that's changed. Yeah. 97, number five. And, and before you move from 97... Who won the World Series that year, Graham? The Marlins. Oh, and they were seventh. Yeah. Wow, they used to spend money. No, they spent a lot of money. They had a good team. They had Bobby Bonilla, Levon Hernandez. I know they had a good team. Prime. I didn't realize they spent money oh, yeah. like that. I'm just saying, we were like top, through like 2002 or three, we were top five to ten in, in, in payroll. point I was trying to make is I don't... So, but I'm like, saying... You can keep blaming payroll all you want. Low-budget teams have won in the past. Not that much. Like, over the last 15 years... Top six payroll usually wins. I think the Royals were the one anomaly there. Just trying to say, I don't care that we have the highest payroll in team history. It's a skewed stat. I'll yes. give you that. No, that's all, that's all I was trying to say. Money's not everything, though, Graham. No, it's not. Well-run organization, making smart moves for now and the future. If you don't win, it doesn't matter. Financial flexibility. <laughs> Financial flexibility. Uh, so... There's the, there's the uh, sort of jived-up Braves segment for the week. Now, Adam, we have some other interesting things happening. When I say interesting, I use air quotes with your Atlanta Falcons. Can't wait. Actually, I do have a bone to pick with Arthur Blank. Is that what you were going to get into? Yes, into Arthur Blank. So... It's been brought up many times how the Falcons have, you know, struggled to fill Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And when your team finishes in seven and nine back-to-back seasons, that's what, you know, not as many people are going to show up, us included. Especially when you start one and seven. Especially when you start one and seven. Who the hell wants to go to a game after that? You went to one game this year, I went to zero. I went to two games last year, I think you went to one. Like, you know, we're just, you know, it's not going to show up as much. So... Uh, interesting thing, the AJC recently got some documents from the Georgia World Congress Center. Uh, I don't know why they'd have these numbers, but they did. That reported that the original PSL holders, when the PSLs opened uh, in 2017, had defaulted more on more than $32 million worth of licenses. And default means that they've paid for the PSL but are not purchasing season tickets anymore. So remember, the PSL, you have to pay is basically paying for the right to purchase season tickets. So some people are still paying off their PSL, but they're refusing to buy season tickets 
and that's resulted in $32 million worth. Well, if they're not, if they're still paying off their PSL, wouldn't default mean they, they're stopping those payments and just not buying season tickets? Anymore? Oh, no, they could still be paying. Some people have paid off their PSLs, and a PSL can range from like $500 to $30,000, depending yeah. on where you're sitting. So, but it says a lot that that's happening because that means that, um, you know, Arthur Blank tries to make all the excuses. Oh, people change, people move, people, uh, you know, maybe there's an illness in the family, maybe there's kids, maybe you get divorced, blah, blah, blah. Not saying that's not accurate, but I think the majority of the reason why folks have defaulted on the PSLs is because the, the, the team is, is mediocre. Yeah, you were coming off a Super Bowl team when everyone was buying those PSLs right. as well. So it, it just brings, and so that's one thing, I mean, that I didn't really know you could, you could do that. I mean, I know you could resell your PSL, which is what a lot of people are trying to do, but no one, not a lot of action there. Good luck with that. Yeah, exactly. There was one guy quoted on this AJC article that, uh, the Orlando Ledbetter wrote where he was like, this is the worst purchase I've ever made in my life <laughs> and I will never do something like this ever again. Like I paid 5,000, $6,000 or something and I'm still paying it off and I don't want to go to games because we suck. Or something, something to that effect. Or like, is is someone his, his dad died and then uh, he went to the games with his dad all the time, but no one wants to go, and he's you know kind of de- depressed about it. Fair enough. But now you're stuck. But now you're stuck. And he's like, right. I'll never do this shit ever again. And so when you do a PSL, you get locked in. You get locked in unless you get a super cheap seat and you can you know for five hundred bucks that's your PSL and you paid it off. You still have to pay those damn for the damn season tickets every year. But that's that's one reason is that you know you got PSLs. No one wants to go to the games, and they can't. And the guys who have defaulted can't find other guys or girls, or or theys to uh, get their damn season tickets because no one wants to watch this team. At some point, can't or like if this year, if we're seven and nine again, can't Arthur just be like, okay, I made a mistake. Like he, which he, one? He, which what's the mistake? He's still like, multiple he, mistakes. Well, we're talking specifically about PSLs. Okay. Um, but I can't just be like, okay, I thought this was the model. It works in other cities. Maybe it doesn't work in this city. Because I guarantee that stadium would be a lot more full if you could just buy season t- single season tickets at the beginning of the year. So what do you do with all the people that are you refund all their money and lose millions? Yeah. I mean, I don't think he's going to do that. I think you're locked in at this point. This is sunk costs. Maybe if you, if you could fill the stadium. That makes up for it, maybe? I don't think I don't know. I'm not in finance, it, it, it makes up for it, I guess, from an emotional standpoint. And from he a could win the standpoint. city back the way he did when he first bought the team. Maybe. Um, $7 million of those def- of the $32 million defaults occurred in 2019. Um, so it's just, you know, that's, that's, that's an, a, a magnifying, illuminating number right there in terms of just the lack of interest in this team right now. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, you needed to make a coaching decision or coaching change, front office change to, you know, just to satiate the fan base. But I think it would have been the right move at this point. I mean, you know what you're getting from Dan Quinn. You're getting consistent mediocrity. Two winning seasons out of five. Yeah. What else can we say about it? I don't know. I'm I'm over it, Graham. No. Um, he also uh, well, he also said stuff about um, you know that uh, that Dan Quinn quote took on too much, two new coordinators. Plus, he became the defensive coordinator. I think those are really major factors. I think he was trying to assist on the defensive line as well because that's his background. 
he was pulled in so many different directions and couldn't do his job as a head coach in the first half of the season as well as he needed to. I think he's learned his lesson, which is great. Some people who have bad experiences don't learn their lesson. I think he's learned from it. He's a very self-aware person. And so I think he'll structure his use of time more carefully going into this year. Well, that's fair. Arthur, are you learning from your mistakes? Yeah, he seems to be just doing the same thing over and over again. It's like Arthur has become just very monotone. He seems very – there's not a sense of urgency with Arthur with this football team anymore. You know, I remember back in the old days, you know, Arthur would be fired up about stuff. Not necessarily he's like knocking ta- – flipping tables over and punching people in the face or something like that. But there was a sense of urgency to win. And and I'm not saying that's not there anymore, but the way he comes off in these interviews, you would never – it just feels like – a guy who's just sort of sitting back in his hammock just being like, yeah, you know, everything's going to be okay. Everything's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. Here, Sipping on a drink. I got a question for you, Graham. Yeah. If the Atlanta United did not exist, would Dan Quinn be the Falcons head coach right now? That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Because maybe he's got his championship in soccer. Maybe he lost his urgency because of that. There does feel in multiple different directions, you know? Yeah, getting older. Getting older. He's putting more people uh, in, you know, he's sort of barricading himself off a little bit from the football operations, which I kind of like because I don't think he needs to be as involved as he was. But, you know, Rich McKay, now instead of Dan Quinn and Thomas reporting directly to Arthur, they report to Rich McKay. What has Rich McKay been doing the last five years? He's the president of the team. But, like, he hasn't been on the football side. No, he's been doing more of the business side. You know, he's a, he was a big part of getting the stadium built and so is he still, things like that. He still keeps tabs on everything, but he's not, like, intimately involved. Like, should we be excited that Rich McKay's back making uh, big football decisions? I have total ambivalence towards that. I mean, I think he's had some success as a GM. Obviously won a Super Bowl with Tampa Bay. Had some success here, drafted some good players. Um, but, you know, he's been out of the game for, for 12 years now. It feels like the same, re- like bringing back Mike Malarkey and uh, Cutter and uh, Greg Knapp. Yeah, retreads. Seems like the same thing. Yeah. Do we bring back Greg Knapp? Yeah, Greg Knapp's on the team. He's like a quarterback. What uh, are you talking about? Really? Yeah, that was last year. He was on the t- he was on the sidelines the entire season. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even realize. I just thought it was Malarkey. No. And Cutter. Malarkey retired. You know, old, old Nappy was out I there. I think he's also just got an emotional connection with Quinn. It's just like, you know, they're bros. Well, it's interesting you compare Dan Quinn. Be like if you tried to fire me from the podcast for not doing any research and. No, that'd be ridiculous. The same points over and over again. Yeah, I can't do that. I mean, it might improve the show, but I can't do that. I'm loyal to you. Uh, you know, we apply that situation to, to what's going on now. It's like you look at, at Smitty and, and Dan Quinn's tenures are very uh, they're similar and they're different in a way. But they've, you know, Dan Quinn I think has has gone has been here longer than than Mike Smith. So Smitty was from was from 2008 to whenever you got married. Um. 2015. End of 14. End of 14. So what was that? It's like six years. Mm-hmm. Dan Quinn has been here since 2015. And, or, yeah, 2015. So he's about to go into his sixth year. Mike Smith had above 500 seasons until his last two years, and then he was shit-canned. Dan Quinn has had two winning seasons and three under, or one 500 season and two under 500 seasons. 
So he's only had two winning seasons. But it comes back to playoff success. It, it comes back to some playoff success, but it's it's interesting that I don't know. It's like yes, Mike Smith only won one playoff game. Dan Quinn's gone four and two in the playoffs. But I don't know. It just it, it just feels like the same. Like I, I don't know. I don't know what the point I'm trying to make is here. Let me, let me dial that back. Um, but other, what does it all mean, Basil? Yeah. And we know about the playoff success. Stan Quinn is four and two. Mike Smith was like one and three or one and four. But it's it's like there was no hesitation um, to get rid of Mike Smith after those, you know, bad two years. Whereas with Dan Quinn, it's just been kind of like once he. I guess he showed more in the regular season to keep him on. But, I mean, Mike Smith was a great regular season head coach. But also, I didn't hear players openly fighting for Mike Smith's job. True. And maybe that has something to do with it, too. We don't really know. It just seems like their their situations are eerily similar, minus playoff success and regular season success. The only really way that it's similar is that they both had two subpar seasons. One was fired and one wasn't. And so you have to look at the extenuating factors beyond that. And I guess it's the playoff success and the players are fighting for him. But it doesn't – neither one of those guys instilled me with confidence at this point in their coaching careers as a fan. I mean, I would – I was fine with moving on with Mike Smith after that when he was moved on from I, – I still will not ever know why we kept Dan Quinn other than the stupid second-half adjustments. I guess, you know, it's great still finishing well, 7 we come out and start 5-1. and one. I can't expect well, have, that to happen. What, what? Oh, Jesus. Sorry, that's what I think of your of, of that opinion. Good God. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> that was a nasty one. Jesus. That was true to Atlanta. <sighs> Anyways. <laughs> so if we go 12-4 and four next year, you'd be like, okay, I was wrong. On paper, I would have stuck by my decision, but I would be happy that we had... Uh, we are where we are. I'm. I would be fine to be proven wrong. I would. I would love to be proven wrong. I just don't see it happening. Now, I mean, I would. I would take a bet, a prop bet on how fast Raheem Morris is going to be the interim head coach. Week six, week seven, week eight. I would. I would. I would take it. Okay. How much? Ten bucks. Hundred dollars. No. <laughs> it's tough too because I just based off track record it seems like Arthur's going to keep Dan Quinn around for forever 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 based off one year two years two shitty seasons where he also just has made blunder after blunder I feel like Mike Smith didn't make this many blunders in terms of hiring coaches either like not that any of his coaching hires were outstanding but you know they didn't shit the bed like a Sarkeesian or Dan Quinn himself you know, it's like Dan Quinn did not hire Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn hired Dan Quinn to be the defensive coordinator. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> um, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, just shit like that. I don't know. It's tough to talk about these Falcons as it always is. Oh, one more thing to talk about. As we come up to Super Bowl week this week, apparently, according to Jimmy Garoppolo, he and Kyle Shanahan joke about 28-3 to a lot, which makes me full-bore Chiefs fan this weekend. Well, that was my the bone I wanted to pick with Arthur Blank, is Arthur Blank said that he's cheering for Shanahan to win, which is, you want to talk about not having 
any grasp of what your city feels, that's a perfect example. Oh, he says here in this athletic article he's rooting for both teams because he has a connection to Kyle Shanahan and he has a connection to Lamar Hunt. Lamar Hunt was the owner of the Chiefs who actually coined the name Super Bowl and was uh, instrumental in providing Arthur mentorship when he bought the Falcons. He should just say, I'm cheering for the Chiefs. Yeah, I'd be fine with that. Like, fuck Shanahan. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no one, like, I don't hate Shanahan, but at the end of the day, I don't want to see him win a Super Bowl. No, and the fact that he he jokes around with Garoppolo about 20 to 3, he's forever on my shit list now, even more so than he was. As much as I would want him to come back and run the offense. And be our head coach. Or that. Yeah. Or both, which he does in San Francisco. So, ugh. Should be a fun game, though. Yeah. No Patriots. No Patriots is, is a huge plus. I wish this could have been the Super Bowl last year. In Atlanta? In Atlanta. I'd be totally fine with that. Chiefs fans, Niners fans, fine. But all those Patriots fans in here downtown last year was just sickening. It was like having someone rip your guts out and feed them to you and rip them out again just over and over. It's awful. Overtaking our bars. Yeah. They were at manuals. Like when, when I left downtown, they were at manuals. There was like five Patriots fans at manuals. I was like, I can't escape these fuckers. It's un-American. It was incredibly un-American. Definitely un-Atlantan. Uh, yeah, un-Atlantan. Um, well, I guess we'll move on to the Hawks, Adam. There's not really too much to go over there. All I got to say is Jeff Teague is not Jeff Teague anymore. No, and but I don't think he's being utilized correctly, which he's being u- utilized more as a two. I think he's played 60% of the time at the two or something like that. I was reading today, and it's like I thought he was brought in here to back up Trey Young, but they're they're playing a lot with each other. And, you know, Jeff Teague's been playing for 11 years as a point guard. It just doesn't seem like this is the time to teach an old dog new tricks. I watched the game the other night. He missed so many wide-open layups. It has nothing to do with what position he's playing. Also fair. He just he looked like a shell of himself. And I understand why Minnesota fans are like, okay, take him, take thank him. you. Peace. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, he says he hasn't played the two since he was like at Wake Forest, but he also said, but it's basketball, basketball's basketball. Right. And Trey Young's not off the court very often. To, no. What, was he going to get like 10 minutes a game? I guess that's a good point. It's just It just feels like another kind of misfire now on all fronts, not being put in a comfortable position, playing a weird position he's not accustomed to, and just looking lost on the court a little bit. But he might settle in, so. Yeah, there's still, there's still time. He's only played six Jeff games. Jeff the, the least of our concerns right now. Tell yeah. you what I was very happy to see. Um, I think this was the game Sunday. We got blown out, of course. I think we won the game on Sunday. We beat the Wizards. What game was I watching then? Uh, we were playing Houston. We played Houston recently. I don't know. I don't know. We, we were <laughs> da- we were down like thirty. Trey Young was taken out of the game with like eight or nine minutes to go, and I was sure. still up watching it for some reason. Mm-hmm. Cam Reddish went off, man. He, he started like zero uh, for five from three. And then, like, hit, like, five out of his next six. He was driving. He's looking a lot more uh, comfortable and starting to believe that he belongs. I think in the – well, it is the second half of the season at this point. But as the second half proceeds, I'm expecting to see more offensive evolution from Cam Reddish. And we've seen flashes like that game that you're mentioning. 
and we just got to hope he continues to improve and give him the the long leash he needs. I know there's a lot of people who are still very anti-Cam, but I think it's too early to say that he's uh, – to define what kind of player he's going to be in the NBA yet. Yeah, agreed. I mean, that's – if this year's a wasted year, but Cam develops into a solid mm-hmm. NBA player, then okay. Then we've got another top three pick coming – but next year, Graham. Next year. <laughs> next got, year, we gotta win thirty games. You got no. <laughs> you gotta. You gotta. As you want Anthopolis to do, you gotta go for it in free agency. Well, there's no one to get. The only guy that's really gonna be someone who could be a difference maker is Anthony Davis. He's opting out of his contract with the Lakers. I don't think he's coming to Atlanta. But it is. It is like ridiculous. We're gonna have like seventy, eighty million dollars in cap space, and there's no one that we can really spend it on. You don't want to force that either. Like, Anthony Davis is the only guy to be really interested in going after. I think Draymond Green is also potential, but I don't want him at this point. You want a guy who's going to be, you know, on Trey's level to come here to really elevate the team. Well, I think they kind of just need some solid veterans to plug in. You could. You could definitely spend money on that. I just don't know. I don't know what, what the class is. I just know there's no one outstanding other than Davis that's a free agent. That's going to be a free agent. So I think the going for it thing, we'll probably have to wait till. The next year, so the twenty twenty two, who knows anymore? Twenty twenty one. What year is it? I, th- I still think it's like two thousand three. Yeah, I, that's, that's where I'm most comfortable. Going to Turner Field. Yeah, nineteen ninety eight, ninety nine. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I thought one thing that was really touching over the weekend in response to you know the the Kobe Bryant tragedy was how the NBA teams around the league paid tribute to Kobe taking um, eight second backcourt violations taking 24 shot clock violations the the Hawks participated in that Trey Young also participated in that wearing Kobe's number eight to open the game and then he was very emotional at the podium as he had been uh you know basically over the course of, of the season Kobe and his his daughter, who also unfortunately passed away in that horrific accident, came to see I think two or three of two or three Hawks games because Trey was uh, Gianna's Gigi's favorite player, and he said he learned a lot from Kobe, and it was um, a really powerful performance by Trey on on Sunday night. He dropped forty five points, fourteen assists, and he said he did that all with with Kobe's help from an emotional spiritual standpoint, which I thought was really beautiful, and just watching him. Um, as a young man, take the podium and speak so openly about uh, a mentor and a, and, and a friend and um, a, a huge fan of his who he you know, deeply admired was um, really powerful to me to see him handle it the way he, he did in such a, a beautiful way. I was really honestly very touched by the way Trey paid tribute to Kobe and Gianna and the way he spoke about them, I think said a lot about who Trey Young is as, as a person, take away all the basketball stuff. But, you know, that's the kind of guy that I want leading my, my basketball team moving forward. Although that was really some really powerful, powerful stuff in the, in the wake of a, a absolutely horrific tragedy. Yeah, and they, I mean, they played the same day that that happened. I, I didn't realize that Trey Young was that close to them. I guess they had just, like, FaceTimed. He had FaceTimed with both of them, like, a couple nights previous. Uh, yeah. And he had met with them after both games. Like I think they traveled somewhere. I mean, I know. I think they when they went to L.A., she was there with with her father, Gigi and Kobe. But I think they also either came. They came here once too. 
I think those were the two. Yeah, games. I think they. I heard that they went to three NBA games all year, and two of them were Hawks games. Yeah. so she could see Trey. Yeah, because so. she loved Trey so much. And like, I mean, I can't imagine what that's like for him to deal with. But that just said so much to me, as as what kind of uh, a wonderful individual he is. I was really touched by that. Yeah. And um, yeah, that was that was just a. Uh, I couldn't believe that when I when I saw it was just like the last thing you're ever expecting to to hear. Yeah, I saw like the TMZ thing on <coughs> Twitter, and it just seems like that's that's fake. Yeah, it's fucking bullshit. Yeah, I mean, it's you just never know, man. No, you never know, and it's just awful for all those those families that were affected, and can't imagine what they're going through right now. Yeah, but yeah, it was definitely one of those those moments where. You take stock of what's around you and you appreciate it a little more and you hope, you know, if anything can come out of this, it's just, you know, more appreciation for life and the people around you. Definitely inspires that. Yeah, Kobe was just huge for this entire generation of the NBA now, but I didn't realize how, I guess, just his entire Mamba mentality just resonated with so many people. And oh, yeah, across... Uh, multiple disciplines too I mean like you think of what he was doing after he played with you know making the uh, Academy Award winning short Dear Basketball which I watched which I recommend anyone to watch it was, it was really uh, a fascinating piece you know wins an Oscar for that he's doing so many things uh, from a humanitarian standpoint starting that whole Mamba Academy which is where he was he was going um, you know for, for girls basketball um, teaching girls to play basketball and you know it just seemed like he was um, had a, you know developed into such a outstanding. Not to say that he wasn't a good person before, but just in terms of you got to know more of who Kobe was as a, as a man and as a father as he went on in his life, and you just it was the beginning of something really uh, beautiful for him, I think, where he was able to be a dad at home, where he was able to do things off the court that made an impact on 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 communities, and he was a true philanthropist and. And just the influence he had on so many people, I mean, it, it was really uh, magnified in, in the wake of, of, uh, of horror. I think we'll end the show on that somber note. Um, stay safe out there. Hold your loved ones a little tighter. Tell them you love them. Until next time, rise up, chop on, stand brotherhood, unite and conquer, remain true to Atlanta. Hospital to sip. Hospital to sip.